Welcome back to Probably About Politics. This episode, we have an interview with a uh, political candidate from out east. Number two, and we're only getting more exciting. We're only getting more exciting, this time moving uh, to a uh, provincial spectrum rather than last time we were talking with a uh, municipal politician or political candidate. Yeah, we were pretty, I was pretty excited about this one. I'm sure you were pretty excited about this one. We're both sort of, we're both have spent a lot of time living in New Brunswick and we also covered the provincial election in New Brunswick. Again, this is in Canada in case you're one of our many international listeners. (laughs) Um, In the Brazil election, we talked about the New Brunswick provincial election being pretty exciting. Yeah, it was um, more exciting than I think uh, people would generally consider um, New Brunswick provincial elections. Yeah, there was quite a bit of time after the election, which seems to be a theme in elections <laughs> that we cover this year. Yes, from... uh, if we talk about it, there's going to be turmoil following the vote. Oh yeah, we we are real uh, bad omens, I guess. I don't know, but <laughs> but yeah, from the provincial to the national and the international, this seems to be the the way it's rolling. Yeah, but. Yeah, so it was, it was um, a pretty exciting election, and the and the, the aftermath of the election and what a lot of people were talking about was really great. Um, and what we see in this interview, and I think um, what what I was what I was happy with, uh, and what Susan was talking about, uh, were some of the concrete tips that she really gave about running a political campaign and how that how that happens and what is actually involved. I think and how. Um, you go from somebody kind of on the periphery of politics, maybe working in government, maybe volunteering and knowing some people who are politicians and actually turning that into a political campaign. Yeah, again, I, I mean, like with the last interview and with this interview, I feel like just actually like I understand how how you could do it. Mm-hmm. Similar to our last our last interview with uh, Rebecca Alti. We, we see more of how all politics on any scale is really local politics because this is yeah. a provincial election, but she's talking about knocking on doors on her street and talking about problems that people have with, as she says, potholes in the road. Yes. Like that's what people care about all the time. And we talked about that with Rebecca as well with being a municipal mm-hmm. mayor, but in such a large territory and having all of these a variety of issues to deal with and even how at a municipal level politics can be very large. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, it was something we were both like, we both were like, maybe I wonder what it's like. Like, is it, is it true that we, we sort of theorize about like from the local to the top that, that people are still going to ask you about the potholes, you know, or those people care about what they care about and, and you still have to handle those, I think at all levels. And I think speaking of things that people care about, um, <laughs> we kind of get into the weeds a little bit. Yeah, I was pretty excited and I hope that some of our listeners will be that we got to go back and forth a bit about some like electoral reform issues and some of her thinking on that. Um, She definitely, she introduced a pretty cool new idea that may have triggered us to have to create a new, another episode in our democracy series. Yes, we're going to be having some follow-up episodes on here about uh, some of the things we talk about uh, today. And so without further ado, Today we have on the podcast Susan Holt, who in September of 2018 uh, ran as a liberal candidate for the riding of Fredericton South in Fredericton, New Brunswick, on the east coast of Canada that uh, Kaylee and I uh, call home at least some of the time. (laughs) Previous to that, Susan worked as the CEO of the Fredericton Chamber of Commerce and New Brunswick Business Council and as a public servant with the government of New Brunswick. Uh, And Susan entered New Brunswick's 2018 election in a very competitive riding in what turned out to be a very close election. 
and we're excited to talk with her about campaigning and deciding to get involved. So we're here with Susan Holt. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I guess this evening for when we're recording. (laughs) So Kaylee and I, uh, when we were talking about starting this series of interviewing people who were getting involved in politics, we're kind of questioning ourselves whether or not uh, eventually we generally joke about uh, running for politics or running for office. But I think there's kind of a, there's a leap that has to be made between joking about something like that and actually doing it. And we're kind of wondering when did you get started in politics and kind of how that transition happened between somebody who probably has spoken about it uh, here and there to actually doing it? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I'm the same way, actually. I used to joke about being premier of Nova Scotia, oddly Mm -hmm. enough, um, because that's the province I was born in when I was in university in Ontario. And I'd joke to my friends like, yeah, yeah, my 20-year plan is to go and be the premier of Nova Scotia. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. You know, isn't that funny? (laughs) Um, And it's still funny. (laughs) Uh, But it was a long time before that actually became not a joke. Uh, So... It was when I uh, took the role at the Chamber of Commerce and became maybe more of a public figure, I guess. I started doing radio and TV interviews, commentary on local community issues, that I was approached by folks who suggested that they wanted me to run for a party leadership. I guess that was in 2011. It was for the Liberal Party leadership. And it was out of left field for me. I was like, what? Like, you know, party leadership for someone who hadn't even been a party member or particularly politically active. Um, So it started there in 2011 and then turned into something that was in the back of my mind. And then I was recruited for the 2014 and 15 and 18 elections. And so it went through a couple of recruitment cycles before I thought, okay, I guess this is something other people see me doing and something I could see myself doing. And to truth be told, like I was a student politician, mm-hmm. I guess, like, a, you know, in junior high school and in high school and even in university, I ran for student politics. And I never actually made that connection with a career as a politician. Like I didn't think yeah. when I was running in high school to be the secretary of the student council that that put me on a future political path. And I didn't think that at university either. So it really wasn't until... I became more of a public figure and people started recruiting me to run um, for political office that I started thinking about that as a, maybe this isn't so funny, maybe it's legitimate. So would you say that, like, generally speaking, it's hard to make the connection between the resume you do have and being able to run for political office? Or um, I think or the beauty of political office is that you don't need any form yeah. of resume, right? Like, yeah. we, we see candidates coming from all sorts of backgrounds, more and more, and thank goodness, right? It used to be the domain of lawyers, right? Mm-hmm. The thought was you do either a law degree, yeah. and that was what set you up best for politics, and you were male, and you were all of these things that, you know made you look like the politicians of the past. I don't think that's the case anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thankfully, because I think the more diverse the legislature is in terms of the experience of the people in there, the better decision-making will do. So I think I think my resume is arguably traditional for politics. Like I got into a public figure mm-hmm. role where I was doing public speaking. I was doing advocacy on policy issues. Um, so I think, you know, I think that that's maybe an obvious place mm-hmm. that you would recruit candidates from. And I think that's actually how parties work, is they recruit the visible, right? People who have demonstrated themselves to be comfortable at a podium or behind a mic or who have somehow, 
sort of put themselves into those kind of community positions are the first ones to get asked oh. to run, I, I think, you know, because they're, they're the people who are either top of mind or who show up in the news or in and around government policy and lobbying kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I guess it's sort of going from that, like, I guess who are are there um, the the more inv- invisible individuals who you would like to see getting more involved? Like, who, what are the communities and, and who should be getting involved? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's lots more people that I'd like to see getting involved because, again, I think that, that, that the decisions that we're making should reflect the reality of New Brunswickers mm-hmm. and the people who are making those decisions. I don't think their experience is as diverse as the population's. Mm-hmm. So anybody that's underrepresented in the ledge today I think is who we need, which yeah. means more young people, more women, uh, more people of diverse background. And the hardest one, so I don't – I would take the should off of this. Mm-hmm. I hate saying – you should, you marginalized people who are disadvantaged or who are lower income, you should be getting involved. Like, mm-hmm. who am I to tell people who are already struggling that they should be doing more? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there has to be a better way to get that experience, which is more common than we think, mm-hmm. in and top of mind for the people who are making decisions about the economy, jobs, society, right? Mm-hmm. So I think I think that the lower income and more disadvantaged people are not represented in the legislature effectively, and I can totally understand why. Um, but we've got to figure out how we we take that into account mm-hmm. in our politics. Going off that, then, uh, some of these people who would be maybe non-traditional candidates or pretty uh, nervous seeing this whole thing played out and might not be in those roles that they might normally get tapped from. Can you talk about some of your experiences running for provincial office that might be exciting? <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, or maybe give kind of like a realistic view of what, what is involved and what to, what somebody could expect Yeah, doing that? Yeah, I can try for sure. Because I think... <laughs> I think bottom line, it doesn't really matter who you are. The process of getting elected is generally the same for anyone, and anyone can do it. Like, it's not rocket science. It doesn't require, you know, a bunch of things that we might think it does. So um, for me, strangely enough, the process, part of it involved being asked, and I think there's lots of studies that show that especially if you want to get women to run, you have to ask them like seven times before they'll say yes. Um, so that was helpful that I had people asking me over the years. Um, but I actually, so I was being recruited for the 2018 election starting in 2016, I want to say. Um, and in early 2017, I got pregnant. So then, I don't know how personal this podcast is, but here we go. (laughs) So then I started thinking about what 2018 was going to hold for me because I was going to have a baby in October and then I was potentially going to be on mat leave or maybe not or what was I going to do with this year. Um, And when I I looked at that alongside the idea of being a candidate in the election, I thought, well, hang on, you know, like – when would I have to win a nomination and what the campaign period and how might I do that? I might have this year off where I'm going to have the government of Canada paying me some income. Maybe this is the only time it works. And so strangely enough, getting pregnant and then was sort of the thing that unlocked the possibility to run for me, <laughs> which is a little counterintuitive because it was actually the same reason why I decided not to run in 2014. I was being recruited then and I was having a baby. The baby was due in May, and that was the time of the nomination with an election in October or September, I think. And so I couldn't get my brain around the idea of this, you know, newborn baby at at a nomination campaign and a three-month-old during the peak of an election. But I could get my brain around, you know, my baby turning one a few (laughs) days after the vote. 
um, and it sort of made everything work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would actually challenge people, moms particularly, um, or dads too, who are contemplating what family life looks like and what parental leave and how to make the best use of a year off, become a candidate and go knock on doors for your year off. Um, it was an amazing way to spend uh, the first year of my youngest daughter's life. So it, that that's a sort of a freaky situation that made it work for me. But to go back to your question, like if I'm trying to be more universal and considering what could work for anyone, there's a very clear process to winning a candidate nomination, and that's get as many people as possible to sign up to join your party and then to show up to the nomination. And so that's as as simple as asking everyone you know um, who might be willing to support you and asking them to ask everyone they know and turning up with more people than the other guy. Um, and so anybody can do that literally, right? Like anyone can ask their friends and get on the phone or get on social media or go knock on their neighbor's door. Not, now, not everyone can do that because I know from experience that asking for help is hard Asking for someone to join a political party is one of the most <laughs> awkward things I've ever done. But there's nothing that says that, no, like, it, yeah. awkward for me, awkward for you, awkward for awkward for a rocket scientist, awkward for my granny next door, right? Like, it's 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 still a universal access point, I would say. So I don't know if that, that answer your question. <laughs> there's even more to it when you get into, like, so you've won the nomination and then how do you mount an election campaign? But Well, that I, I think that answers how to do it. And it still sounds scary and not necessarily all that um, fun. <laughs> but are there, were, were there experiences during the campaign that people look forward to? Or is the campaign process really a grind that you just got to get through? No, look, I thought the campaign was super fun. Let me try and explain why. I mean, there are some things that are hard and unquestionably. Uh, and I guess it depends on your definition of fun. But building a team of people who are, like, keen to try something, and in my case, most of the people on my team were rookies as far as political involvement. So it was a first campaign for most of them. Everybody was curious. Everybody was like, what's this about? How do we do it? We want to learn. You know, so everyone was approaching it with that kind of energy and were thinking, hey, cool, this is news. The first time I've ever knocked on a door. It's the first time I've ever, you know, put out a lawn sign or gone to a debate or a, a campaign event. So there was some fun in that and in doing this new thing with a bunch of other people who were doing a new thing. And I think that was one of my favorite parts about my campaign is that it, we all were learning together. It was this kind of shared learning experience. We had very few experienced, you know, dyed-in-the-wool political strategists on the team. So that that shared learning was awesome. And then you would be surprised, and I, I if you haven't done it, you've got to do it, mm-hmm. at how fun door knocking is. So most people think it sounds like the worst thing. And I was the kid who could not sell chocolate bars door to door in junior high school. Like I couldn't do it. I was nervous and embarrassed and hated to go and knock on my neighbor, like my friendly neighbor's door who like brings me chocolate chip cookies and I couldn't go and sell her a chocolate bar. Um, But once you get through your first two or three doors and you realize like, man, this is fun. Like it really, it really is fun, and I, I can almost guarantee you that because of all the different people who joined me door knocking, for whom they had never done it before, and for whom they were terrified and uncomfortable and like thinking, oh, I'm doing this because I'm your friend, Susan, but man, I don't want to. Um, and then they would finish and be like, when can I come out again? That was so awesome. Because you're meeting like random people, and you're hearing random things, and it's like, totally unpredictable to connect the 
door or the house or the apartment with the person who answers it with the thing that they tell you. Like you could n- never predict that, oh, this is a house where this person lives and they're going to care about that. Like it just, I was never right with those guesses. So my stereotypes of who Fredericktonians were were being blown out of the water and I was learning things and I was humbled by the people's willingness to um, to share what was on their mind and to share personal things and things that they care about and stories that were really that I love learning and the people that were door knocking with me loved hearing about. And it was like fun and unusual, but like it was the best. And so, yeah, it's a slog when it's a rainy day and you're knocking on door, you know, 92. That's a little tiring, but it's not a, it's not an emotional slog. It's like, it was really uplifting to, to get to know our neighbors and realize how much we had in common and how thoughtful people were, um, even in the hardest circumstances. So, there, did I sell you on it? <laughs> have you have you tried door knocking? Have either of you tried door knocking? Um, I, I tried it once um, during the Ontario federal or no, no in Ontario during the federal election. Okay. Um, I yeah, it was kind of cool. Like everybody's sort of excited to be out there doing something for a candidate. So I guess you, um, yeah, you gotta sort of if if you can get behind the person, then you, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty. And, and people want to talk usually. So, yeah, that yeah. that was what surprised me that people yeah. want to talk. I don't know, Alex, if you've tried it, but uh, my last door knocking experience was uh, as a paper delivery boy <laughs> uh, back in two thousand and six, probably. But I people do want to talk. Yeah. <laughs> Even then, as a eleven year old, people <laughs> wanted to talk, um, and I, as weird as it is, like as a kid, that was kind of a fun part of it. Is getting to know the neighborhood that you live in and getting to know the people who you deliver the news to every day. Yeah. And I think that something that um, Alex and I have been sort of talking about, especially when, so the the first interview we did with, was with a mayor and we were thinking, well, we're going to focus on local politics. But then we thought, well, interviewing, you ran for provincial politics. In New Brunswick, I think the, the local and the provincial must be very closely tied. Like, And a lot of things, I think, in generally, for all the way up to the international, come back down to local level. I mean, it was going um, around, did you feel like you were interacting a lot with the local politics? Absolutely. Is there a close tie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the more local the politics, the more top of mind, mm-hmm. arguably. So whenever there was a big municipal issue or story, I would hear that at the door mm-hmm. all night long and over a few days, right? So here in Fredericton, we had a big trees and officer square issue mm-hmm. that touched provincial politics a little bit, but not a lot. Um, and I would hear about that a ton. Um, the the beauty is, I guess, and I, I, I think this is a beautiful thing, sort of, a lot of people don't differentiate what's municipal, what's provincial, what's federal. So when I ask people what was on their mind, it could be everything from the pothole on their street to, you know, the healthcare system in the province to the gun registry and electoral reform, like things. Most people didn't differentiate what level I was there for and what feedback they wanted to offer. Mm -hmm. And I generally just took it all in. And Mm -hmm. if it's municipal, it's municipal, but there's still... They all interact enough that it's worth just understanding where people are coming from. And I would actually circle back with the city councillors in my riding. If I heard enough of noise about something, I would shoot an email to Greg and say, look, I was in Skyline last night and four different people asked about X. And so I thought you might want to know because it's his ward and it's a city issue. You know, um, and so I think that there's there's value in that sort of intersection of, of politicians. But 
Yeah, local is the easiest stuff to fire up about because yeah. it's it's literally what's right in front of you when you walk out of your house. Is, like, is it is it kind of interesting? Like I don't I don't know if you did this necessarily, but like when they give give you that very local issue that you might not directly be able to run on or anything to connect it back to something. Is that an easy process to connect it to something you maybe will have influence over if they did elect you? Um, I think yes and no. I mean, for me, yes, because I had spent time leading a local business organization Mm -hmm. in an advocacy role. So I was sort of used to the bridge between what's happening in Fredericton and where that connects with New Brunswick politics. Um, But not everybody has to come into politics with a knowledge of all aspects of provincial government Mm -hmm. responsibility or local. Um, I think the the key, the key connection is good politicians know how to listen. Mm -hmm. They know how to ask questions and try and empathize and understand. And so if you can get at the heart of what somebody's trying to tell you, Mm -hmm. then you'll better understand them and what might be their point of view on on other issues, right? If they're concerned about the personal safety involved in walking down an unplowed sort of sidewalk or street, mm-hmm. then you have a sense for, for what's what drives them or what their feelings are, and you can apply that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so sometimes I could say, okay, well, this is how the infrastructure budget works, and this is why Fredericton did or didn't get this kind of money. Mm-hmm. But that I don't think that knowledge is necessary no. for yeah. successful politics. Mm-hmm. And I don't think generally anybody at the door really wants to hear what I have to say. (laughs) Like they're happy to vent their point of view. My response is not all that important other than for them to feel like they've been listened to sincerely and heard. Mm. So it's just like it's my response I don't think factored much into anybody's decision as to whether to vote for me or not. It's whether they actually thought I sincerely cared what they had to say. This question is getting a little bit in the weeds. uh, And we were wondering whether or not to ask this, but... (laughs) On the podcast, we talk a lot about voting just generally, and you said the word, so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about okay. it. Uh, you talked about electoral reform, <laughs> um, and in New Brunswick, I think um, the topic of electoral reform, following the most recent provincial election, was kind of bandied about uh, because of the length of time that it took to decide on who the government would be. Was there a, maybe like an appetite? for that in the people that you talked to or did people talk about it really ever and kind of what are some of potentially your opinions on that at a provincial level in New Brunswick? (laughs) How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll try. So I'll try and be more concise. It did come up at the door by people who were frustrated with the federal liberals broken promise on electoral reform. Mm. That's where I heard it most was I'm an NDP voter and I voted for the liberals this last time because of that promise and I'm angry that they didn't come through with it and that anger got directed to me as a representative broadly of a liberal brand even though it's obviously mm-hmm. not the same level of politics. Um, so I did hear that more times than you might expect. Oh. Like so, But I do – I might suggest to your listeners that Fredericton South is a sl- – well, every every riding is unique. Fredericton South is particularly unique because it's full of civil servants, mm-hmm. um, post secondary academics uh, from you know three different three different uh, um, university college, actually more than three institutions. So we have a particularly wonky crowd in Fredericton South, yeah. if I can put it that way. Um, so then, the the people who are actively involved in politics. 
many of them on my team and on David Kuhn's green team were very interested in electoral reform mm -hmm. as sort of a platform point to be advanced. And I think it was in the Green Party platform, if mm -hmm. memory serves. Uh, and then it came up as a point for discussion and debate following the election results when we were trying to form a coalition and alliance is that this was a this was something that we understood that the Greens wanted and maybe could be something mm -hmm. that we could use to to encourage them to come on board with us if the Liberals were willing to go that way. I'm going to take it one step further and say I wonder, especially having watched the electoral reform conversation go down in BC and watching what's going on in PEI and I, I would love to see us leapfrog electoral reform in terms of voting mechanism all the way to consensus-based government. Um, so I think that that would be a phenomenal thing for a larger province to try or a province like New Brunswick. We're watching it work in Nunavut and Yukon and the Northwest mm -hmm. Territories and multiple places in the world that have particularly strong indigenous populations. Um, and I think it would get rid of some of the stuff that the voting public does not like about politics these days and replace it with something that might help us regain the trust of, you know, everyday citizens. So I'll put that out there, that I think we should go way far with electoral reform over to consensus-based government and eliminate political parties altogether. That is a totally accepted take on probably no politics. <laughs> yeah. And and it, and it, we haven't done consensus based government, but it sounds like you may have just given us a, another a future topic. Yeah, yes. that we have to do it. Yeah, point. like yeah. check out how it works in our territories. Yeah, um, because it may not work better, but I am fairly confident that it does not work worse. Okay. If I, I don't know if that's proper grammar. Um, and I think that given that we have people whose trust in government has tanked. And a lot of that trust is because they feel like there's somebody pulling the strings mm -hmm. or that the person speaking is not speaking their own voice. And because they think there's a party apparatus that controls what can be said or how you vote or these things that diminish our trust and our connection to our representative. So if you take that away and say this person is here for you locally and only for you mm -hmm. locally, but that responsibility includes a need to to vote, think big picture and what's in the best interest of the unit, but it takes out the middleman. I think it would help us rebuild trust in the, the political institution, right, like the legislature and politics and the bureaucracy, and I think that that's like desperately needed right now. So that's my pitch. That is a very interesting point. <laughs> I'm excited by it. I'm, I'm willing to yeah, talk about it. <laughs> I'm contemplating maybe now I'm going to start like a whole consensus-based government campaign. Maybe that's what, that's you, my, your last question around my new project that I may have just uncovered it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you've, you've just sold two very wonky people. <laughs> uh, um, I, something that I, I find interesting, I guess, is so we've talked about like how you got to the point where you, you felt comfortable to run that sort of thing. But what was it that you you saw yourself like you wanted to bring or what New Brunswick needed that that made you think that you were the right person to yeah. run? Yeah, that's a great question because if there's people listening to your podcast now who are thinking, maybe I want to run, what should I do? Um, the first step for me was, was what's his name, um, Simon Sinek? Like the start with why. Like answer the question why. Why are you running? And like get really, really clear on what your personal why am I doing this is. So for me, the why was a little bit of what I just talked about, right? I've I've been observing and around politics in New Brunswick for kind of a decade. And I'm, I've seen the declining levels of trust and the polarized debate. And it concerns me. I don't like turning on the radio um, and – 
it's breakfast at the Holt House, and I've got three little girls that are gobbling up their cereal, listening to adults yell at each other, interrupt each other, and, you know, speak in a, what I would say a disrespectful way to each other, all in the name of politics. Drove me nuts. And I thought, this is not good for society. It's not good for my family's breakfast. <laughs> um, and I think that I, I had something to offer in terms of an ability to provide more of a positive sort of tone to the conversation, a less partisan nature. And then I had a strong, strong, I have a strong belief in the modernization of our system. So I think we need to open up. I think we need open government. I think we need, you know, open data. There's a whole sort of philosophy around what open data is and what it can do for trusted institutions and how open government could work. So that's getting really wonky. And that was less what I sold at the door, but more my real reason for why is I want to help advance New Brunswick down the path of open government. And I think that open politics would help rebuild the trust that I think is lacking and that is really hurting some of the fabric of our society. So that was my why. I had to figure out this, why do I have that? Because I think I'm good at seeing all sides of a debate. I'm pretty... I'm kind of a radical centrist. I think that there's good ideas on all different parts of the spectrum. And I think I'm pretty good at bridging and moderating and finding, synthesizing points of view to find consensus. And I think that I had experience in the private sector, I had experience in the not-for-profit civil society sector. I had gained experience in government and in the bureaucracy. So I had seen policies go to the cabinet table. I had watched council and caucus and cabinet make decisions. I understood how the elected officials worked with the bureaucracy. So I thought that my perspective on the system was pretty broad and holistic mm -hmm. and that I really had a strong sense of how policy should be developed and that that experience and that attitude were what would make me a good representative and an effective legislator. So once I – like the, that – Answering your personal why, and it can be anything, mm -hmm. right? It can be this issue that I'm really passionate about and my neighbors are passionate about and my passion is what drives me and will help other people get behind mm -hmm. me, whatever that is. It doesn't have to look like mine. But that answering that why and putting it down on paper was literally the first step in me mm -hmm. kind of deciding to run and then communicating my, my intent for the nomination and that kind of thing. It seems like you found your why of why you want to run. And also these things of open government is very important to you and regaining the confidence of the voter. And in New Brunswick, you see this deterioration of the confidence of the voter in the government. So could you maybe pitch uh, the average voter in New Brunswick? Like, why is it important to vote in a provincial election when it seems like it's either municipal, this pothole in my front door, or these huge federal problems? Provincial politics sometimes gets lost a little bit. Why should people, <laughs> why should people care? Yeah, well, I mean, thankfully, this last election showed exactly why. Your vote matters. We have four different parties in the legislature. We have, you know, two different parties that have three different folks each. And their point of view uh, really affects the outcome of the decisions being made. Provincial politics affects people at a pretty fundamental level. So if you think about the things that people care the most about, um, oftentimes it's our healthcare system and either their loved one's access to it or their own personal relationship with it. And healthcare is a is very much the responsibility of the provincial government. Some funding transfers come from the feds. Um, municipal has virtually no contact with the healthcare system. It's all provincial decisions. Similarly with the education system. And education is another thing that hits a huge number of people in our population, whether it's students in school or people who have kids in school or even people who want to access adult education or that kind of thing. So 
those two things right there are provincial responsibilities that I think affect a lot of people. And if you care about our healthcare system or our education system, then your vote can direct your care to a person who might steward that. They're also a taxing body. So if you care about taxes, there's a provincial taxing authority that determines things like your property taxes, a level of your income tax, consumption taxes. These are all things that affect all of us uh, on a near daily basis. So like, I think there's there's a lot of things that affect our daily day-to-day life that we maybe don't see, but we don't think about either the teacher or the nurse or doctor or, you know, tax man as coming from the province, but it is. So voting, voting provincially is critical to a healthy democracy, right? Like, and making sure that the person who's in the legislature deciding where the next school might go and whether or not to hire more healthcare professionals or what to pay our nursing home staff, your vote influences how that person decides. And so I think that engagement is critical. So running for office is something where you might win and you might lose. And, and this go, you didn't, didn't win, but... Would you see a world in which you run again? Yeah, I don't think it was the end. You know, I'm not 100% sure because I can't predict the future and I try not to. But it was like I I want – I hope all of your audience takes this to heart. It was an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. I would go back and tell my former self to do it again, even knowing the outcome, knowing that you're going to lose and you're going to lose badly. Um, But I would do it again because it was totally worth it. Um, and, and I, I did get myself there before I decided to run, I evaluated all four possible outcomes, Mm -hmm. right? There's my party wins and I win. Am I cool with that? My party wins and I don't win. Am I cool with that? I win and my party doesn't win. Am I cool with that? I don't win and my party doesn't win. Am I cool with those things? Like, can I handle each of those four outcomes? Um, and once I could handle any of those four outcomes, deciding to run was a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I... Like, I'm a political, what is it, like, political file? Anyway, (laughs) I'm interested in politics. I am still fired up about how our politicians act. And so I will find a way to be involved Mm -hmm. in some way, shape, or form, and I may very well run again. Okay. (laughs) That's as reassuring as (laughs) Uh, so be that as it may, uh, there are uh, a few years <laughs> before uh, the the next closest opportunity here, except for federally, but uh, that's probably underway already. So what are some projects right now then that you're excited to be working on or what are some things that you're doing in the meantime? Uh, this is after sitting with with us for half an hour. This is your chance yeah. to let everybody know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I I have had the chance to decompress um, and think about the experience. I'm really excited to share what I've learned with future candidates. So, even, like candidates in the federal election, I'm keen to get involved and help out people who are thinking about running in the next municipal, the next provincial election. I'm keen to connect with folks mm-hmm. and, you know, look looking forward to joining campaigns and sharing what I've learned and being a good volunteer now that I know what that looks like. I think I'm going to be effective on other people's campaigns. Uh, encourage anybody who's thinking about it to run because I think democracy is strengthened when you have a lot of great candidates on the ballot. Um, so having choice as a voter, I think, is really, really valuable. And just that act alone, whether you have a hope and heck of winning or not, is a contribution to to democracy. And then I'm um, I'm getting a little bit more vocal about my story, actually. I've been approached by a couple folks to either write it down or to be in touch with some journalists of different national publications who are curious about this the angle of 
babies and politics and, you know, motherhood and those intersections as a sort of mid-career woman who has a stay-at-home partner. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how to tell that story and where the value might be in sharing it, supporting the work that Equal Voice does. Um, and in the meantime, I'm trying to find like a full-time job. So, you know, <laughs> there's, a, there's a few different things going on, but I'm, uh, yeah, I, and I'm hoping to do some like political punditry, right? Like I want to go on the whatever shift political panel and weigh in with my opinions about how things are going or how they should be interpreted. Well, this has been uh, really excellent. I think we got some actual concrete tips <laughs> of answering questions before you run and what to ask and how to make those choices that I think hopefully some of our listeners will hear and that'll say, I do, I have answers to those questions or those are questions that I want to think about. Yeah. And I think hopefully people really enjoy that. And also Shades of uh, Jacinda Ardern, who is a uh, podcast favorite. Uh, also a mother in New Zealand. Yeah, big, big fan. If she's listening, get on the podcast too. <laughs> we could have, uh, yeah, we could you, have you both on again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I totally will. You know, she's gone from doing like, what is it, uh, Leno or Kimmel or like some like <laughs> yeah. major doc yeah. shows to us. Yeah, huge fan. Um, and I'll put it out to your listeners. I'm happy to talk to anybody who's contemplating running and wants to talk through steps or anything like that in more detail than we've done because it can feel really opaque. Um, one thing I didn't say is the party was super supportive, right? They had guidelines. They connected me with people to talk to who could share their experience. They were really, really encouraging when I was exploring it. And I think a lot of other parties mm -hmm. out there are the same way. They have tools, they have guides, they have advice, they have volunteers ready. So all you have to do is express interest. And there are people like me and others who will swarm around you and not in a crazy intimidating way, but like <laughs> with, the, with the availability to answer questions and help clarify for people who might want to take that leap. Do you have a uh, Instagram or Twitter where uh, anybody could reach? Yeah, I do. Um, my, I actually have a political Twitter account that I'm not using right now, but my regular one is just at Susan Holt, S-U-S-A-N-H-O-L-T. Twitter is a super easy way to reach me, and it's just Susan Holt. Okay. Well, thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> Thanks, Kaylee. That was Susan Holt joining us from Fredericton, New Brunswick. Thanks for listening to Probably About Politics. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at ProbPolitics or send us an email at probably about politics at gmail.com and remember to rate like and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts